Welcome to another message of hope from Gateway Church Australia. For more information or to contact us, please visit gateway.asn.au. God is good all the time and all the time. There you go, you've got it. Let's start this morning by praying. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we know that you are good all the time. And uh, that's great encouragement to us. So today, may your name be glorified and your word clarified so that our walk with you is intensified for the sake of the world. God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to read you a story. On a dangerous coastline where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought of themselves, went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. This wonderful life-saving station saved many lives so that it became famous. Then some of those who were saved and others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought, new crews trained, the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were not happy that the building was so basic and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering uh, place for its members and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of a club. A life-saving motif, the, the life preserver, still prevailed in the club's decoration and there was still a replica lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held but fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired other lifeboat crews to do the work for them. At about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty, they were sick. Some of them were white, some were black, some had yellow skin. The beautiful club was in chaos. So the property committee voted for a shower house to be built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to normal social life of the club. Yet some members insisted life-saving was still their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As years went by, this new station experienced the same divisions that had occurred in the old. It had evolved into a club and real lifesavers were forced to start yet another life-saving station down the coast. History continued to repeat itself and if you visit that coastline today you will find many exclusive surf clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. 
but most of the people drown. Hmm. Who do you think that story is focused at? Us, yeah, us. I remember when I first read this when I was doing my theological studies, I'm reading away thinking, what on earth has this got to do with you know, church ecclesiology and stuff? And, and then by the time I got to the end of it, I went, oh, oh, yeah, it does have something to do <laughs> with us, doesn't it? It's, it's a parable trying to warn the church, which is you and me. And what is that warning? Well, I think it's this. The churches slide into irrelevance when they do not remain true to God's mission. And that's what I want to talk to you about today on 100% Church. The story is a cautionary tale about what Gateway could become if we don't remain vigilant. What is relevance, you say? I'm glad you asked. Relevance is defined as the significance and effectiveness in relation to context and function. It's actually one of Gateway's five core values and all our leadership level one people could rattle them off, uh, probably, if, if I stood you up here on stage. It's fun, encouragement, relevance, excellence and growth. growth. So relevance sits right in the middle of our five values and it's a real, the linchpin of what we do. So to be irrelevant is to lose sight of your original purpose to lose sight of your original purpose. It happened to the little life-saving station, to the little life-saving station, to the little life-saving station, um, and it could happen to us. So I want to see if there's a few lessons from this story. Are you with me this morning? Yep. So the first lesson that I reckon is that church is not a club with members, but a team with a focus. It's not a club, it's a team. The second thing is the church's focus is not the comfort of its members, but the effectiveness of its purpose. And thirdly, its purpose is not about control of the organisation and running things well, but the relevance of its mission. The relevance of its mission. And the church's mission? Probably no points for asking you what that is, but it's God's mission. And what is God's mission? For us to be, if you will, a life-saving station to save lives. So I got to thinking, what is it that lifesavers do? Anybody here a surf lifesaver? No, I didn't ask that in the first service, but you know, the ones with the yellow and red hats and do the string thing on the head, you know, on the beach? If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask someone later. Here's a few things that I think lifesavers do. Firstly, they commit to lifesaving. They commit to lifesaving. They give their time and talent to save people, and often they invest money in their life-saving equipment to make sure it's the best. They're actually committed. I don't know about you, but if I go to the surf coast and I'm looking like swimming out and drowning, and I'm not a strong swimmer, though I can swim, I want a committed lifesaver on that beach. You know, it's not like someone there who's on a deck lounge, you know, with a hot dog in the mouth going, what's that guy waving over there for? (laughs) I don't want that guy, all right? The other thing that lifesavers do is they train. They train to keep up their fitness because it's important that a lifesaver is fit too. I also don't want a 400 kilogram lifesaver coming at me in the surf, all right? So, um, and they practice drills. 
They practice, practice, practice and running up and down the beach and running the lines and going out with the boards and you know, bringing people in. They, they practice to make sure that their skill sets are just right so that when the emergency happens, they're ready to go. They don't have to read a book about it. The third thing they do is they keep watch. A good, committed, trained lifesaver will keep watch and they are always alert for the reason they exist. And what's the reason they exist? Life-saving, exactly. And then, interesting, you know, they position themselves near the water. They don't sit back up in the club rooms on the deck drinking G&Ts or, you know, just having a good old time. They position themselves right on the beach, between the flags, usually. And they are seeking people to save from drowning. They're not distracted, they're focused, they keep watch. And finally, lifesavers have a creed. They have a thing that they live by. And, and I actually looked up Surf Life Saving Australia's creed. Would you like to hear it? I'm glad you did. This is amazing. This, this could be the creed of every church. But anyway, here we go. We are a can-do movement, optimistic at every turn, eternally vigilant, forever serving, for we believe in life, in the sanctity of life, and in our great Australian way of life. We support it, we protect it, we celebrate it. We are surf life-saving. I want to go and join up now. <laughs> well, I'm probably not fit enough, but... You know what I mean? It's like, wow. Lifesavers have actually really thought about what they do. And they have a creed that they actually live by, which is great. It's just, that's terrific. And then I think, well, surely that's, that's a parallel to what the, ch- the church could and should be today. It, it's, it's our role, is it not, to be lifesavers. And then I started thinking, well, we've got an even greater cause than surf lifesavers. And that is not just saving human lives, but the spiritual welfare of the world. You know, we, we have Jesus' mission overarching everything that human beings do. And he has a heart for the whole world. In fact, the whole universe is coming under his authority. You know, seeking the lost, which is what I'm talking about this morning, is the defining principle of Jesus' ministry. He said it himself. It's also the primary objective of the church. It's the primary objective of this church. And it's the mission-critical plan of all Christians everywhere. All Christians everywhere. It's not like you get to say, well, you know, uh, I I don't want to be involved in that. It's mission critical. And so at Gateway, we want to be God's people according to his plan and purpose, yeah? We don't just want to make stuff up on our own. We want to be God's people 100%. And so with the time remaining this morning, I want to look at two things which might help us frame what it means to be a church 100%. You interested? I'm glad you are. Take out your outline and we'll follow along. Firstly, to be 100% church, it means that we're a place... And you can add this, because it's not, oh, they they added it. It wasn't on the first service and they added it. That's great. A place to belong. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. 100% church means that we're a place to belong. Now, let me tell you what the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said about this. You can find it in his letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. 
God is building a home. He is using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. Tap the person on, uh, sitting next to you on the shoulder and say, God's using you. He touched me, touched me. Mom, he touched me. Let's continue with the Bible though, shall we? He used the apostles, that's Jesus, God. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The church is a place to belong. But the church is not contained by a building. The church is not defined by any organisational structure. Yet get this, the church is located. It's identifiable, it's discoverable, it's formed and it's gathered. It's not a building, but it's locatable. And the church gathers for him and takes shape around his presence by his Holy Spirit. The church is God's people, you and me. In fact, the church is people who are seeking a God who seeks after people. Remember that again? It's worth writing down. God's people are people who are seeking a God who seeks after people. God is a seeking God. And if you're looking for God this morning, the good news is he's looking for you. So you should meet in the middle somewhere. Wherever a church physically locates, it is a source of welcome and belonging for all who would come. All who would come. Are you a son and daughter, a son or daughter here this morning? Are you a father or mother, a sister or brother? You are welcome in this place, in God's house. Are you a saint or a sinner? Are you healed or broken? Are you friend or foe? You're welcome here. Are you young or old, married or single, extrovert, introvert? You are welcome. Are you a student, a young, a young person? Are you a working person or unemployed? Are you rich or poor? You are welcome. You are welcome. Yet the church that Jesus died to create does not stop at welcome. That's the good news. It does not stop at welcome. In the mind of Christ, the church is not the end of the line destination or a club. Like we haven't made it because, hey, you know, we're, we're a Christian. That's not the end of the line. A man some of you would know from history called William Booth started what we know today as the Salvation Army in about 1865. Who's heard of William Booth before? Lots and lots of people. If you haven't, Google him later. That's an amazing fellow. Today, the Salvation Army is a church, but it is also the deliverer or one of the major deliverers in the world of humanitarian aid. From one small wooden church... It is now one of the biggest deliverers of humanitarian aid around the world and an awesome church. Booth was born into wealth, born a wealthy family, but then as happened a lot in those days, circumstances changed and his family lost it all. 
Later on in life, Booth became a Methodist preacher. He actually taught himself to read the scriptures and to preach and became what we call an evangelist, which is a person who goes around telling people about Jesus and calling them to him. And he did that in the place where he lived, which was a place called Nottingham in England. And he did this in the 1800s at a time which we now know historically as the Industrial Revolution, which was going from farm to factory at a great rate of knots and things were changing The problem was that the mechanics of it and and the social structures were enslaving and impoverishing thousands of people during that time. And Booth noticed that, that people were really struggling and were poor. And he wanted churches, and he noticed that there were many churches in England at the time who didn't seem to be engaging with actual people and doing things to actually help people in the street. I'm sure there were some. But Booth was saying, there's wealthy churches here who are just looking inwards. They should start looking outwards to reach what he called the poor and sinners. Reminds me of another guy from Nottinghamshire that we might know from another story who had a bow and arrow and took from the rich and gave to the poor. Um, Not going to talk about him today, but you know him. Booth was not persuading people with a bow and arrow, but with the power of the gospel of Jesus. He was persuading people with the gospel of Jesus. And the sad thing is that the first people that he had to convince to get on board with helping the poor was the church. It was the church. Because at that stage, in that context, it had become largely irrelevant. So Booth tells the story that God, when, he was, uh, when Booth was out traveling, God gave him a vision that sent him on a lifelong quest for souls. Now, I read his vision of the lost, and it is incredibly inspiring, and it has really helped me in my work as a pastor and you know, uh, building churches and planting churches to keep focused what it is that I think God wants us to do. And someone along the way has taken uh, his written, uh, Booth's written testimony and vocalised it and put audio-visual behind it to sort of try and get across that message. You can find it on YouTube. It's a little bit old world. It's a little bit dramatic. But I think it gets the point across as to what... Booth thought God was saying to him about the role of the church and in particular what William Booth needed to do in that light. Let's watch it. Will you go? So I said this is William Booth's vision and it was his clarion call to action. And I think ours is similar. And whilst I'm saying the church is a place to belong, and it is, It's for everyone. I want you to know that it's a place to belong for a purpose. For a purpose. For God's purpose. And that's your second fill-in. For a purpose. God's purpose, his mission in the world, is to save people. And he wants to do that through you and with you and me. The scripture tells us in the Gospel of Luke, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save those who were lost. Now, when the church gathers, it's not just anything goes, um, but according to his word. That's how we organise ourselves and that's how we focus ourselves. And his, by his word, we understand that we are all sinful. We are all broken. We are all separated creatures who need a saviour. 
We understand that by his word. The scripture also tells us that God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. It doesn't say that he just wants people to join a nice club and be happy. He wants everyone to turn from sin and for no one to be lost. And that's good news. In the mind of Christ, the church is not an end-of-the-line destination or a club. It's not for perfect people, nor is the church to be the judge of the world. Neither does the church exist to fix every problem or to right every wrong. We exist. Gateway exists to bring people to Jesus and to let him save them. Interestingly, in the scriptures, when we look at that word save, it conjures up a whole bunch of things which we've shared this morning, but it also is a word that has a broad understanding, which means uh, to, to make whole. To say that we are saved means that we are restored, we are reinstated into relationship with God because we have been separated from God, each and every one of us, by our actions and our sins. But through Jesus, we are restored into relationship with the God of the universe and can take our place in his church and our purpose in this world. The Apostle Paul picked up on this perfectly when he said to the church at Corinth, I want to bring everyone to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Not everyone will come but we should be watching to see who will. You see, the church is both a place that is gathered, but it is also a, 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 a people who are sent. I like to say that we are gathered to be sent. And it's not like we have an option is what I'm saying. It's not like, oh, I'll just be the gathered ones, you know, I'll, I'll sit over here and I'll enjoy them. Isn't that a great song this morning? I really enjoyed that. And, you know, the morning tea between services, that was awesome. But I'm just going to be gathered here and I'm going to enjoy and, and I'll, I'll, I'll let some other person be sent. I'm sure they can hire some people to go out there and do the scenting. But I'm going to be here. That's not an option. It's not. Read the scriptures for yourself. At once, the people of God are gathered to be sent. We are on God's mission in this world. And there is blessing and healing and restoration for us in that process. We are formed as the body of Christ and we are equipped by his spirit. Why? To reach the world. To reach the world. Every tribe, every nation every tongue and we are not to wait for some level of perfection or full healing or wholeness before we engage with this it's only in the gathering and the sending that we are actually made whole did you know that too many christian people wait back waiting for their word or their deliverance or their healing or their something as if we could ever have enough in this world and never really get to what Jesus wants us to get to, which is to go and reach the lost. And you might be saying, well, you know, I'm not sure about that, Rick. Well, Jesus told us that. He actually um, 
There was a time when Jesus, uh, lepers had come to Jesus. I, I don't know if you've read the Bible much. I encourage you to, but there's a story in there where Jesus was healing uh, lepers, lots of lepers. And they came to him and said, you know, we know that you're a miracle worker. Will you heal us? And he goes, I will. I will. What I want you to do is to go to the chief priest and make the sacrifices so everybody can see, you know, that, that, that you're healed. Um, I, w- I want you to go and do that. And, and you can imagine the lepers going, I'm, I'm still a leper. You're still a leper? I'm still a leper. Jesus, you're supposed to heal us. What are you sending us to a priest for? And then, I love this, it says, as they went, they were healed. He didn't go, bippity-boppity-boo, now go see the priest. It was like, there is something I need you to do to get your healing, and that is to go. And I think that's true today for those of us who are spiritual lepers, and I'm one. Our healing comes... Our relationship is restored and is in the process of transforming as we go. We are not just to gather and wait, but we are the sent ones. Jesus calls his people to follow him. And once we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, the Christian faith is a journey for him. And with him. You know, some people say, well, you know, um, I'm on the Christian journey, but they haven't received Jesus. And I go, well, you can be on a faith journey, but your, your, your Jesus journey doesn't start until you submit your life to him. And then that becomes the Jesus journey. And he walks with you and empowers you. And good on you if you're on the faith journey today going towards Jesus. But don't make the mistake thinking that that's enough because Jesus doesn't just want you to journey towards him and check him out. He wants you to become part of the family of God, to submit your lives to him so that we can be his sent people in the world because Jesus ain't here anymore in body. We are the hands and feet of Jesus as his church. You know, it's interesting that the early church really got this and they got it so much that they were referred to uh, by pagans and Romans and other secular people as people of the way. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. Look it up. Uh, They were known as people of the way, the way of Jesus. They were known as followers, active, not just people who waited back uh, to receive You know, we are called by Christ to follow in his steps and to continue what he started in the world. Just like lifesavers, we're to be committed and trained and watchful and active in God's quest on this planet. And that's why today, when you came into church, we gave you one of these little key rings. If you've got it, you want to grab it in your hand and hold it. Very significant. Someone said to me in the first service, how did you know I needed a key ring? <laughs> I, lost the key, I lost the thing off my key ring and I need one of these. I go, you really do need one of these. You don't just know it. It's little got Gateway 2020 on it. The life saver key ring is to remind us all what it means to be part of his church, of this church at Gateway 100%. 
And throughout the whole year, I want you to, to hold that and to remember it, to look upon it and to pray on it and keep it in the forefront of your minds that we are the life preserver. We are the life-saving ring that God wants to be out in the sea rescuing drowning people. People in this world are struggling at every level or haven't you noticed? And it kind of reflects Gateway's mission which we put in a little statement, it's on your outline there. Taking hold of the real life Jesus gives, we grow people with a passionate concern for our world. The real life that Jesus gives is for real life savers. Real life savers. Will you join me?